0: And welcome to another episode of macabre mortals. I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode on werewolves and I really have to apologize for the week gap in between the episode on Sean and also the werewolves episode. As I said I've had a very heavy studying month in this month of June and everything just seemed to catch up with me. But I'm back on schedule now and looking forward to the next few months of continuous episodes. This week, as promised, I'll be speaking about Blood Splatter. I read a book about six years ago called Blood Secrets by Rod Engelgot and it's always stuck with me since how much investigators can tell from a scene just by the Blood Splatter. Don't get me wrong, this and also this subject is not for the faint hearted. Although I must admit every time that I go to have my blood taken I faint unless I'm laying down. But if I see other people's blood or blood on an injury even on myself or I don't know even blood on an operation it's no problem. I think I need to put that down to the trauma that I had for my very first blood test, but let's dive in and let's find out a little bit more about blood spatter. Bloodstain Pattern Analysis, or BPA, is the field of forensic science that consists of the study and analysis of bloodstains, or blood spatter, at a known or suspected crime scene, with the purpose of drawing conclusions about the nature, timing, and other details of the crime. It is used mostly to study homicide or other violent crimes in which blood is present, and it can help crime scene reconstruction. Since the late 1950s, BPA experts have claimed to be able to use biology, physics, fluid dynamics, and mathematical calculations to reconstruct with accuracy events at a crime scene, and these claims have been accepted by the criminal justice system. However, some skepticism has been drawn about bloodstain pattern analysis since the 2000s. A comprehensive 2009 National Academy of Science report concluded that the uncertainties associated with blood stain pattern analysis are enormous, and that perpetrated blood stain pattern experts' opinions are more subjective than scientific. The report highlighted several incidents of blood spatter analysis to overstate their qualifications. As well as question the reliability of their methods. Bloodstain pattern analysis has been used informally for centuries, but the first modern study of bloodstains was in 1895 by Dr. Edward Petrovsky of the University of Cakro. He published a paper titled on the formation, form, direction and spreading of bloodstains after blunt trauma to the head. He conducted his first experiments on rabbits. A number of publications describing various aspects of bloodstains were published, but his publication did not lead to a systematic analysis. Lemoyne Snyder's widely used book Homicide Investigation first published in 1941, and updated occasionally through at least till the 1970s, also briefly mentioned the details that latter bloodstain experts would expand upon, i.e. that blood drives at a relatively predictable rate, that arterial blood is a brighter red colour than other blood, and that bloodstains tend to fall in certain patterns based on the motion of an attacker and a victim. A 1952 episode of the police procedural radio series Dragnet made a reference to bloodstain pattern analysis to reconstruct a shooting incident. Between 1880 and 1957, courts in Michigan, Mississippi, Ohio, and California rejected expert testimony for blood spatter analysis, generally holding that it added nothing to the juror's own evaluations of bloodstains submitted as evidence. In 1957, the California Supreme Court became the first American court to accept expert testimony examining bloodstains, accepting as evidence the testimony of Paul L. Kirk, a professor of biochemistry and criminalistics. He would also testify in the Sam Shepard case in 1966, when the wife of the osteopathic physician was beaten to death in her home interpreting bloodspatter evidence as proof that the murderer was left-handed. Shepard was right-handed. However, bloodstain pattern analysis would not begin to enter wide use until it was promoted by Herbert Leon MacDonald. MacDonald researched bloodstains with a grant from the United States Department of Justice, which also published his research book. Flight Characteristics and Stain Patterns of Human Blood, in 1971. McDonnell testified in court on multiple occasions, as an expert of bloodstain analysis, and the legal precedent set by these cases led to its widespread use in American courts. Although as early as 1980, some judges expressed strong doubts about its reliability, and it was not always accepted as evidence, especially in states with no prior rulings that relied on such evidence. The first formal bloodstain training course was given by McDonald in 1973 in Jackson, Mississippi. McDonald taught workshops on how to conduct bloodstain analysis and the newly trained bloodstain analysis who often had received as little as 40 hours of instruction, in turn would give expert testimony in court. In 1983, the International Association of Bloodstain Pattern Analysts was founded by a group of bloodstain analysts to help develop the emerging field of bloodstain pattern analysis. Starting in 1995, Court cases where bloodstain analysts disagreed with each other raised concerns on the discipline's predictions and miscibility as evidence in court. As I mentioned above, in 2009, the National Academy of Sciences published an examination of forensic methods used in the United States courts, which hardly criticised both bloodstain pattern analysis and the credentials of the majority of the analysts and experts in the field. Judges have largely ignored the report's findings and continue to accept bloodstain pattern analysis as expert evidence. In 2013, Daniel Attinger, a fluid dynamics researcher at Columbia University published a paper on bloodstain pattern analysis in the Forensic Science International, finding that many of the central hypotheses of bloodstain analysis remained untested and that the existing analysis often made incorrect assumptions or other errors in the analyses. The paper also proposed fluid dynamics as a theoretical framework for solving these problems. And Attinger has continued to publish several papers exploring these concepts as have other scientists as well. However, these papers are largely theoretical and have little impact on the use of blood stain analysis in court <laughs> There are many different bloodstain types. The bloodstain can present itself differently depending on the situation, material, and angle it lands, i.e. bloodstain patterns can be hard to examine on porous surfaces, such as fabrics. Due to the nature of fabrics, bloodstains can become distorted. From the angle of impact that is has caused a bloodstain, in order to determine the blood's origin and the amount of force behind it. The variations in external forces can cause satellite drops. A point of origin can be determined by finding the area of conversion of the blood droplets. To find this point of origin, the shape of the blood and the length are often taken into account and the stringing method is implemented. This method involves drawing lines from each blood splatter and finding the area in which all the blood intersect. Additionally, the angle of impact, as well as other external factors, such as the material on which the blood falls, can change the shape and size of the blood. This point of impact can change the shape of the blood stain. Blood stains, instead of maintaining its original form, may become elongated. In these cases, the blood may have a tail and this shows directionality. In order to find the angle of impact, investigations measure the length and the width of the blood droplet and use the formula sine sin A equals width divided by length the air representing the angle of impact. Impact spatter is the most common blood stain pattern type in a crime scene. It occurs when an object hits a source of blood. In impact blood spatter patterns, blood is often circular and not elongated. There are two types of impact spatter. Back sputter and forward sputter. Back sputter occurs when the blood is projected back at the attacker, while forward sputter is a blood that ac- exits directly from the victim's wounds and projects onto nearby surfaces. The speed of the weapon used in the attack can cause changes in the size of the blood sputter. The speed of the attack is classified into high, medium, and low velocity attacks. High-velocity spatter, for example, gunshot wounds, creates small-sized droplets. High-velocity spatter usually occurs between 100 feet per second and create blood droplets the size of about one millimeter or less. Medium-velocity spatter, which is something like blunt force trauma, is often made with a weapon and can create cast off patterns. They are often made at between five to 25 feet per second and the blood droplets ranging from about one to four millimeters in length. It's also good to mention here that in blunt force trauma, if there is any hit to the head, there's something that you call one hit for free. So on the first hit, there'll be no blood splatter, but then after that, there will be. Low velocity spatters are usually created just as a result of blood dripping from an individual, for example, gravity. Cast off patterns are associated with impact spatter. These patterns are created when the object that is used in the attack is swung and the blood on the object is swung onto a nearby surface. By looking at the bloodstains, the cast off patterns can determine the direction in which the weapon was swung and the speed. In these cases, the length and the shape of the bloodstain patterns can help to determine the speed in which the object was swung. These patterns create elongated and elliptical shapes in blood when it hits the surface of an object. In 1895, Dr. Edward Petrovsky's experiments showed these patterns are often created after the second hit using the weapon. There has been a lot of criticism in regards to blood spatter analysis. And while it can be a useful tool for investigators, the reliability of courtroom testimony by bloodstain pattern analysis has come under fire, particularly in the wake of the 2009 report by the National Academy of Sciences. In addition to concerns over methodology, the report criticized the lack of proper certification requirements for an analysis and the emphasis on the experience over scientific foundations. Many bloodstained pattern analysis have testified in court as experts, despite having received training in the form of a 40 hour course taught by McDonald or by one of his students without institutional accreditation or minimum educational requirements. Even with proper training and methods, there are still many times where reputable analysis disagree on their findings which calls into question the reliability of the conclusions and the value of its evidence in court. There is very little empirical evidence to support the use of blood splatter analysis in court or any other aspect of the legal system. While certain aspects of bloodstain pattern analysis are supported by scientific studies, such as determining the speed of the splattering blood Some analysts go well beyond what is verifiable. In addition to problems with the underlying scientific validity of method, the circumstances of bloodstain pattern analyses, which are often conducted at the behest of either the prosecution or the defense in a court case can introduce confirmation bias into the analysis assessment. I'm just going to touch on a few cases in history in which blood splatter analysis has actually been used. A 1995 murder case against Warren Horrock was largely decided based on blood stain evidence that has been hotly disputed after the fact. The police and the district attorney's office believed in Horick's innocence. The appointed attorney for the prosecution found a bloodstain pattern analysis who testified that rather than being a suicide, as believed for a number of reasons by police, it was murder due to the pattern of small blood flecks around the accused, which according to the analysis had come from high velocity blood from gunshot, rather than the blood that simply got on through his attempts to provide medical aid to the victim. Other bloodstain pattern analysts have since disputed this claim and said that the bloodstains were consistent with medical aid. The original analysis has conceded that his claims are not as strong as he originally presented as it being, although he still believes in Horink's guilt. As of today, Horink still remains in prison. In the criminal case against David Cam who was tried three times for the murder of his family, on, largely on the basis of blood spatter evidence. Both prosecution and the defense used expert blood stain pattern analysis to interpret the source of the approximately eight drops of blood on his shirt. The prosecution's experts include Tom Bevel and Ron Englert, who testified that the stains were high velocity impact spatter. Paul Kish, Barton Epstein, Paulette Sutton, Barry Goethez and Stuart H. James testified for the defense that the stains were transferred from his shirt brushing against his daughter's hair. Dr. Robert Shaler, founding director of the Penn State Forensic Science Program, decried blood spatter analysis as unreliable in the CAM case. The problem in this case is the number of stains is minimal. He said, I think you're really on the edge of reliability. All of the blood spatter analysis involved in this case are experts in the traditional sense. The problem is we have two opinions in this case. That, in essence, is a 50% error rate. This would be an unacceptable level of reliability in a court case, given that perception of guilt beyond reasonable doubt is what's required. Further complicating matters was the testimony of Rob Stites, who testified for the prosecution as an expert buds analysis. It was later uncovered that he had no training and his credentials were fabrications by the prosecutor. His testimony that the blood on Cam's shirt was high-velocity impact spatter aided in the conviction of David Cam. Dr. Shaler pointed out that one limitation of blood spatter analysis testimony is that you do not have the supporting underlying science to back up your conclusion. When Sites testified, the jury had no way of knowing that he was not the expert that he perpetrated to be. Even among the expert witnesses, it is unknown which sets of experts interpreted the stains accurately as there is no object way of determining which bloodstain pattern analysis has applied the science correctly. Other times bloodstain patterns from different causes can mimic each other. In the 2008 trial of Travis Day for the murder of Joel Lolovin, Prosecution witness Terry Labour testified that the blood spatter on Stay's clothing came from the blows to Loveline during his fistfight. After a review of the evidence by Paul Kish, another bloodstain pattern analysis, Labour, reviewed the report submitted by Kish and revised his findings to include the possibility that the blood came from expiration from Loveline. As recently as in 2016, the Texas Forensic Science Commission reviewed cases that had used bloodstain pattern analysis, and consequently established that started in 2019, bloodstain pattern analysts will need accreditation to testify as experts in Texas courts. I thought that I would end this episode on a little bit of a lighter note by giving you seven facts about blood spatter that you might not have known. Just to break down all the information that I've given you earlier into a few smaller hits. Number one, blood spatter analysis, more professionally termed as blood stain pattern analysis, BPA, is not a new technique in investigation of brutal crimes. In fact, it was studied, probably for a degree, for centuries. However, the first surviving modern study of the BPA occurred in 1895 with Eduardo Petrosky. Number two, the Sam Shepard case, which is thought to have been the inspiration for the television series and subsequent film, The Fugitive was instrumental in expanding the use of blood splatter analysis technique in the USA. On the 4th of July 1954, Marilyn Shepard, the wife of prominent neurosurgeon Dr. Samuel Shepard, was found bludgeoned to death in the Bay Village, Ohio home that the couple shared. Although Dr. Shepard claimed to be asleep downstairs when he awoke to his wife's cries, he tried to stop the intruder from killing her. He was convicted of second-degree murder. His conviction was overturned by the US Supreme Court in 1966, and he was granted a new trial, during which he was found not guilty. Testimony from the University of California at Berkeley biochemistry professor and forensic science pioneer, Dr. Paul Kirk, was thought to be integral to the new verdict. The crime scene was extremely bloody. The only blood found on Dr. Shepard in the morning was the bod- on the body was found on one knee of his pants, which was not at all consistent with the idea that he was a perpetrator. There is a difference between blood sputter, blood drip and blood transfer patterns. Number three. Although they are each part of the forensic branch of blood splatter pattern analysis, there is distinct differences between blood splatter patterns, blood drip stains and blood transfer patterns. Blood splatter patterns are not what most people generally think of them when it comes to blood splatter. These droplets of blood have been acted on by forces other than gravity, either being cast off of a weapon or spraying from a victim onto a surface. The shape and size of these droplets can help determine the positioning of a victim, the type of weapon used and the force used in the crime. On the other hand, blood drip stains appear when only gravity works on blood. It may fall from an open wound on a victim or a perpetrator, or may drip off a piece of clothing or a weapon. These different types of patterns can help determine in which direction and at what speed the person or object was moving at the time of the blood drip. Finally, blood transfer patterns occur when blood moves between objects by the way of conveyance, like a hand, a shoe, or a piece of fabric. These could be the result of a struggle or an attempt of a perpetrator to clean up or escape quickly. Number four. The surface where the blood lands can have tremendous impact on the interpretation of the blood splatter. Just as the motion of the object or person can determine what blood splatter pattern looks like, so can the surface onto which the blood splatters. For instance, the same blood splattered on bed sheets, which would absorb the blood and therefore distort the patterns, will look much different than the pattern that would exist on a pane of glass, which would cause no distortion or even a concrete floor, which would lead to satellite blood droplets. Blood spatter analysis must take into account the surface as well as the trajectory of the blood in order to determine the facts of the crime scene. Number five, blood spatter analysis is perhaps most often used to confirm or refute the statements of a witness or suspects present at the commission of a crime. While blood spatter analysis can be extremely effective in determining the placement of perpetrators, victims, and weapons during the course of a violent crime, rarely are blood spatter analysts called on to make these assertions on their own. Rather, blood spatter is most used as a tool to support or refute eyewitness testimony. For instance, a suspect may argue that they acted in self-defense during the commission of a crime. But a prosecutor may be able to call a buzz-butter analysis that can offer their expert opinion that the victim was sitting or laying down hardly on the attack when the crime was committed, therefore refuting the suspect's account. Number six. A human must lose approximately 40% of his or her total blood volume before they are at risk for death from blood loss. A typical male has between 5 and 6 litres of blood, while a typical female has about 4 to 5 litres. This amount of blood accounts for approximately 8% of a person's total body weight. When a person loses more of a litre of blood, they are likely to become unconscious but more than 1.5 liters and death quickly becomes a risk. And finally, number seven, blood sputter analysis can be essential in determining the type of weapon used during a crime. There are many reasons an investigator may not know what type of weapon was used during a violent crime. Perhaps a murder was committed by the weapon was hidden or destroyed along with the body. Or perhaps a body is so badly injured that it's impossible to tell how exactly the murder occurred. The different shapes and sizes of blood spatter on the surrounding area can determine the force, weight, and shape of the weapon. For instance, as I mentioned earlier, medium velocity stains are generally caused by a blunt object, a fist or even a violent spray from a severed artery, while a high velocity spatter creates tiny droplets and is more likely to be from a gunshot wound. My sources this week were Wikipedia, ForensicColleges.com, and Forensic Sciences Simplified. I'll put all the links in the show notes below. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macard for Mortals. If you do have a case or a study or any specific forensic science, or even a psychological disorder that you would like me to cover, and please drop me an email at macabreformortals at gmail.com. I love hearing from my listeners, especially my regular listeners. Alternatively, if you don't feel comfortable, send me an email. Please just drop me a DM on Instagram at macabreformortals. As I said, in July, I will be starting my next psychological series, and I think I am going to be focusing on schizophrenia. So I will cover that for probably the next three weeks after this episode. And then I will be actually hitting my first year anniversary just after those first three, after those three weeks. So I'm trying to think of a really good episode to be able to cover on that year episode. I either want to cover something that's central to where I come from So any crime from Liverpool in the UK or something from here in Australia, I'm not quite sure yet. If you have any ideas or what you would rather me do, then hey, just send me an email. I hope you all have a great week and I look forward to speaking to you next week on the subject of schizophrenia. I hope you all stay safe wherever in the world you are. Bye.